Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 22 Cavallon clamped his eyes shut, as if eliminating his sense of sight would somehow make him quieter or still his pounding heart. Rake's hand fell away from his face, and he found the nerve to open his eyes, mostly to confirm she hadn't abandoned him. Rake still stood mere centimeters away. Her fingers flashed across her nexus, and the comms interface showed a red warning symbol. The mainframe hadn't fully rebooted. They couldn't call Jackin and the others. Rake looked at him, her warm eyes serious, breath slow and controlled and deadly quiet. She appeared the exact opposite of how he felt. How was she not in a total panic? It had to take a special kind of temerity to stand there, a meter from at least a half dozen armed drudgers, shoved in an alcove with a man who'd never fired a gun in his life and maintained that degree of composure. It was honestly unsettling. Rake kept her eyes locked on his, then raised one finger to her lips and waited. Shut up. He could do that. He gave a short nod. She curled her fingers into a fist. Stay put. He gave another short nod. Rake shouldered her rifle, then slid out of the alcove. After a frenzied squeak of boots on metal, a barrage of gunfire erupted. The sharp, chalky twangs of a plasma rifle. He really hoped Rake's plasma rifle... Mere seconds later, the bombardment ceased, punctuated by a meaty thunk, then the heavy galumph of a body falling lifelessly to the floor, then silence. An odd sense of calm washed over him. If Rake had lived, then he was safe. But if Rake had died, then he was dead too. And it'd all be over. And that sounded easy and peaceful and would sort of be okay. A fist reached in and grabbed him by the front of his vest, pulling him out of the alcove. Rake stared him down, rifle slung over her shoulder, and her knife, bloody knife, in the other hand. He glanced past her, gaze flitting from corpse to corpse as he tallied the body count. Four, no, five, five drudgers, one rake. Probably a scouting party, she explained, voice hushed. They'll send more once these don't report back. Do you think you can find your way back to Jackin? Cavallon's reluctant nod took a hard turn and circled into a fervent shake of his head. No, no, I have no idea how we got here. She didn't seem to register his admission. The mainframe is still rebooting. Jackin may not even know it's docked. Yeah, Cavallon said, eyes wide, nodding emphatically. That was some great timing on our part. Oculus, Rake said, voice sharp. You need to go back and warn them. Yeah, let's do that, Cavallon agreed. Let's get back up. She shook her head. They're over a half hour away round trip. I can't let the dredgers get a foothold on this side of the gate just to wait for a few more guns. They have double our numbers and this place is a maze. They'd be able to overwhelm us easily. Cavallon's mouth gaped open as he processed what she meant. She wanted him to get back up. She had no intention of joining him. But wait, he sputtered. What are you gonna do? I'm going in. No way, he said. Then somehow he found himself adding, I'm not leaving you here alone. Rake's eyes sharpened. 
I'm sorry, did that sound like anything other than an order? She was right. It had sounded suspiciously like an order. But then his stupid mouth opened again. I am following orders, he said, voice wavering. He cleared his throat. Optio North told me to go with you, not to follow you until a ship of drudgers showed up, then turn tail and run. You're not running, you're getting backup. Backup I'll probably never find my way to, and backup that, by your own admission, will come too late, he insisted. Fine, stay here. She turned away and bent down to pluck the power cartridges from the pockets of one of the fallen drudgers. Rake, wait, he said, surprised at his own adamancy. I'm going. He stopped himself, knowing he needed to choose his next words carefully. He was in no position to demand anything of her. As if to reiterate that point, Rake stood slowly, then turned to face him, even slower, staring at him with expectant challenge in her eyes, just waiting for him to say something stupid enough to justify punching him in the face. He steadied his breath, thinking back to the fight in the airlock hours earlier, how together he and Jacken held the gate, and together the four of them cleared the airlock long enough to make their escape. It was the same dogma all the recruitment initiatives spouted, the same motto on all the propaganda posters from the resurgence war. Staying together was what made them strong. A tenant the Legion as a whole had been doing a really shitty job of adhering to lately, at least when it came to the Sentinels, and he didn't ever want to be able to count himself among those who'd abandoned Rake. He squared his shoulders, locking eyes with her. Let me go with you. Rake crossed her arms in utter, incredulous exasperation. Seriously? Seriously, he assured. Shit-cutting, remember? But you gotta give me a chance. Her glower wavered slightly, then she let out a brisk sigh. Fine. If this is how you want to die, I'm not going to stop you. Your faith is touching. But if you want to stay, you need to fight, she insisted. You can't be dead weight. I can't have to protect you. You won't have to. Bloody void, where'd he get the balls to say something like that? He shook his head. Uh, but, just so you know, I've never shot a gun in my life. She glanced down at his right arm, then met his gaze again. Then don't use a gun. Cavalon turned his arm over and the gold and bronze imprint squares glinted as they caught the light. From the way you kicked ass in the mess the other day, she continued, it seemed like you might have had at least a little combat training. Cavalon took a moment to relish that morsel. Rake thought he'd kicked ass. He composed himself and cleared his throat. If bar fights count as combat training, then yes, I'm well versed. She tilted her head in contemplation. So you're scrappy, like when you threw a door at the dredgers earlier? Scrappy? He could work with that, he shrugged. Yeah, I guess. How about this? Try not to engage at all, just watch my back. If you get caught up in it, stay inside their guard so they can't shoot you. Use your knife if you have to, but use your imprints for defense, first and foremost. What about... He lowered his voice and leaned toward her. Volatile interfacing. So long as your sentinel imprints aren't activated at the same time... You'll be fine. He frowned and gave her what he knew to be a sheepish, pathetic look. 
I promise not to activate them, she assured. And the mainframe is still rebooting, so the controls won't work anyway, she scoffed. Plus, why the fuck would I? I don't know, he said. If I do something stupid? Well, that's guaranteed. But I still don't see the logic in taking down my only ally when it's two against 50. She turned and looked at the pile of bodies behind her. 45, I guess. Maybe 40 after the ones you guys killed. 40. 40 drudgers. That's what he'd just agreed to. No, not agreed to, insisted on. What the hell was wrong with him? Hey, calm down, she said, gripping both his shoulders. You're not off to a good start. I'm fine, he squeaked, eyes darting around. What makes you think I'm not calm? Rake blew out a heavy breath and dropped her hands from his shoulders. Okay, we don't have time to keep talking about it. You want to do this or not? He nodded and tried to focus on the cool, refreshing epithesium coursing through his blood. Maybe that had been what had turned him suicidal. Did an abundance of unfocused energy equate to blind, illogical courage? Could this even be called courage? He mustered every ounce of nerve he had in an effort to steady his voice, to sound confident, to sound like he wasn't panicking about willingly putting himself in mortal danger. Yes, sir. Rake gave him one last assessment, her narrowed eyes sharp and serious. He was sure she was about to change her mind, insist he leave her, find his way back to Jackin and the others, and get some real proper help. But instead... She took a step toward him, lowering her voice to a growl. You stay on my six. He managed a single nod, his stomach doing that unsettling flop that sent warm tingles up his spine. Yes, sir. Rake unslung her rifle and headed down the hall toward the airlock where the drudger's ship had docked. Gun raised, she quickly swept the secondary airlock door before crossing through the threshold. Her feet moved silently beneath her with unsettling deftness, and Cavallon felt like a lumbering oaf in comparison, boots shuffling loudly against the metal floor. Rake's movements were clean and methodical, aim focusing into each corner and crevice as they made their way through the redundant airlocks. Cavallon found himself glued to her heel. She glared back at him over her shoulder, then whispered, I'm happy to be your human shield, but you really don't need to stand so close. He gulped and nodded, letting her take a few steps ahead before following again. They walked through the open hatch of the drudger's ship and into a dinghy vestibule, which forked into two corridors leading to either side of the vessel. The stale air reeked of earthy drudger musk, but there were no drudgers in sight. The bare bulbs cast the area in dim but harsh light, throwing the corners into deep shadows that made Cavallon's skin crawl. Rake didn't seem disturbed, likely instantly dismissing their threat due to the fact that they weren't large enough for anything to hide in, or that drudgers simply weren't patient or smart enough to hide in them. He supposed the one easy thing about fighting drudgers was their brash impetuousness, They'd charge towards you head first without a second thought, or even a care for their own well-being. Strategy or deftness didn't play into it, so you always knew what to expect. After Rake cleared the entrance, she breezed past Cavallon to head to the other side of the room. She didn't appear keen to partake in the drudger's head-on approach, because instead of moving down one of the two hallways, 
she motioned for him to follow as she crouched in front of a large grate in the wall. She pulled the cover loose, then set it aside and crawled in. He shuffled forward and crouched, heading in after her. The vent allowed barely enough room for him to crawl on his hands and knees. After a few meters, they stopped in front of another grate. Rake leaned in, first peering through, then turning her ear to press against it. Cavallon could barely make out a few grunts and shuffling noises. Rake looked back at him, her closed fist signaling him to hold. She spun around, then tucked her legs to her chest, and in one quick motion punted the metal with both feet. It flew off and into the room beyond. So much for subtlety. Rake launched herself into the room and Cavallon peered out far enough to watch in stunned silence as she, by every definition of the word perfectly, executed six drudgers. The one she'd kicked the vent cover into died first, via a plasma bolt to the head, even as it flew back against the wall from the force of the grate. She simultaneously stabbed another drudger in the flank. How her knife had ended up in her hand, he didn't even know. She turned that motion into a sweeping kick, knocking a drudger to the ground at her feet. The knife slid directly from the flank of the other drudger into the chest of the prone one. Just as Rake's rifle swung up in her other hand, she fired off two shots to the far right, past Cavallon's field of vision, though he could hear grunts and the sounds of bodies collapsing. Rake yanked the knife out of one torso and turned into another as it charged from the left side of the room. She apparently received the same anatomical training as Mesa, because all the drudgers that met her knife died instantly. The alarmingly impressive affair lasted all of ten seconds. If this was her Rusty, after five years of idleness aboard the Argus, he couldn't imagine what she'd been capable of during the war. Rake stood among the six dead drudgers, hardly winded. Every bare patch of skin on her neck and arms glittered with silver and copper imprint squares. So many more than he'd seen in their default layout on her right arm before. They receded into their standard formation, the hundreds that had flowed into her arms and neck disappearing beneath her shirt. He had to wonder where she kept them all. She must have way, way more imprints than he did. Cavallon pulled himself out of the dusty ventilation shaft and into the room. A series of stiff-looking, hard-backed couches lined the walls. Food wrappers, piles of discharged energy cells, and power cartridges and other garbage littered the floor. He wiped his dusty hands off on his chest. Well, he began, but realized he had no words for what had just happened. Rake tossed her rifle to the ground, then picked up one of the drudger's beefy plasma pistols. She checked the cartridge, seemed satisfied, then stuck the gun in the strap of her weapons belt. Cavallon's eyes lingered on the splayed body of a nearby drudger. All this subterfuge is fun, but why don't we just rig the engines to blow and call it a day? Rake sighed and shook her head as she pulled her knife from the chest of the last drudger she'd killed. I can arrange that for you, you know, he said. I'm sure you can. But even if that wouldn't put a massive fucking hole in this side of the station, we need this ship. It's our only shot at getting through the gate in one piece. Oh, right. He scratched the back of his neck. 
Relay gates, much like jump drives, required a certain mass, a stability threshold of sorts, in order for the ship to arrive at its destination in one unmangled piece. He'd completely forgotten, or rather, thinking that far ahead never even crossed his mind. But what worried him more was the look Rake now regarded him with as she cleaned off the blade of her knife, discerning and a bit concerned. He couldn't blame her. He wasn't sure how to feel about the two apparent faces of his battle instincts. Turn and run the fuck away, as he'd wanted to the first time the drudgers boarded. Or now, to just blanket it all with wanton destruction. Throat tight, he plastered on a smile. A long-term plan. That's good thinking. Guess that's why you're the boss. Leave your rifle, she instructed. It'll be too narrow. He wanted to ask, what's too narrow? but instead he fumbled his rifle off his back and set it aside, then confirmed his own plasma pistol and the heavy combat knife still rested in the weapons belt on his hip. Rake marched over to one of the couches. Her imprints flickered as she easily pushed it aside. She knelt, ripped a black panel off the floor, then swung her legs down into the opening and disappeared. Cavallon scurried across the room, following Rake into the dark. Chapter 23 Cavallon shouldered through the narrow shaft after Rake. She apparently knew the layout of the ship very well. He supposed memorizing the design of enemy vessels would have been part of her training. Infiltration, covert ops, advanced weapons, all the crap that made a titan a thousand times scarier than an average soldier. Rake's boots, or what he could see of them in the practically non-existent light, suddenly stopped, then disappeared upward. By the time Cavallon shimmied forward and craned his neck to look up, she'd already cleared the vertical shaft. She looked down over the edge at him from five meters up, loose strands of hair swinging in her face. He gaped at her. How in the void did she expect him to get up there? Use your imprints, she whispered. He just stared dumbly back at her, and she added, for grip? I don't think mine work like that, he mumbled. He turned over, looking up into the dark vent toward Rake's annoyed grimace. Should I have brought the winch? She asked. It took his brain a couple of seconds to register the dry snark in her tone. He scowled, but said nothing. He summoned his imprints, and they rushed down his arms and into his hands, coating his palms and fingers with gold and bronze squares. He reached up and pawed at the vent, but his hand slid right over it, slick like metal on metal. See, he hissed. You have to think about it, she insisted. Imagine you just, I don't know, stuck your hands in a vat of glue. That's something you'd do. He rolled his eyes, but couldn't precisely disagree. Seeing no other way out of this than to listen or get left behind, he decided to try her advice. He imagined his hands were sticky, willed them to adhere, believed them to be grippy enough to claw his way five meters up a metal tunnel. When he ran his hand over the metal again, to his total shock, his fingers gave a dull squeak and caught immediately. He gaped at them, then stuck his fingers to the bare skin on his cheek. The imprints had taken on a dense, tacky quality, 
They pulled painfully at the stubble on his jaw as he dragged his fingers over his skin. Ow, he grumbled. Rake sighed. He turned his arms over in wonder, staring at the imprints he'd clearly been using wrong the last nine years. He could have gotten up to so much more shit if he'd known that trick. He wondered what else Rake knew about them that he didn't. Come on, Mercer, Rake prompted. These dredgers aren't going to kill themselves. He shook off his awe and set aside the catalog of questions he planned to interrogate Rake with once they weren't skulking through the bowels of an enemy ship. Cavallon reached up and pressed his hands to either side of the duct and secured a firm grip. With a grunt, he pulled, but couldn't squeeze through. He told himself to think small, then forced the air out of his lungs and tucked his shoulders forward to make himself as narrow as possible. He huffed as he pulled, then managed to barely wedge his torso into the duct. Void, Rake grumbled. Come on, he breathed. Cut me a break, I have broader shoulders, man shoulders. Stop talking, she whispered. Your oafish grunts are loud enough. He let out a series of quiet, sharp breaths as he squirmed into a standing position, then began to palm his way up the passage. He gained tenuous footholds at the seams of the ductwork, and his knuckles went white as he pressed into the vent as hard as he could without actually punching a hole through the metal. He awkwardly climbed for a few grueling minutes, then a glittering silver and copper hand appeared, dangling beside his face. He braced his feet, then let go with one hand and gripped Rake's forearm. With consummate ease, she hauled him up over the ledge into a much larger vent shaft, and much cooler. Cavallon sat back and exhaled with relief, while the muscles of his arms and legs burned from his imprint-assisted climb. He got the impression they were now on the second deck of the ship, possibly even higher. The wall at one end featured a meter-wide grate backed by a series of thin, wide slats, some kind of bladeless fan system. A mess of tangled wires wove into a metal trellis behind it, all coated in thick dust. Hazy, thin light peeked through the slats. Rake silently crawled toward the large fan and Cavallon followed. While she inspected the contraption, he carefully peered through the slats to look into the room beyond. Or below, as the case happens to be. The vent exited about three meters above the height of the floor, looking down on a spacious room. A mini command center consisting of three terminals lined one wall, with a mismatch of tables and chairs scattered in the center of the room. A putrid approximation of a kitchen took up another wall, filthy dishes and food waste strewn about on the counters and overflowing from the sink and garbage chute. Two drudgers sat across from each other at a table, gnawing on crumbling food bricks. A third snoozed on a couch below the grate. Rake caught Cavallon's eye and jerked her head back, motioning for him to follow. They crawled back a ways, then she whispered, those bolts are reinforced and there's a few dozen. I'll need your help kicking out this grate. His back straightened. Okay, but stay up here until I'm done, she warned. I can't get a good visual, so I'm not sure how many are down there. Don't follow me into the room until it's over. Got it, sir. 
She slid the commandeered plasma pistol from the back of her belt to the front, then crawled toward the grate. He followed, mirroring her position as she leaned back on her elbows, feet lifted. His imprints moved into his legs, and her silver and copper squares appeared to do the same, disappearing under her shirt. Cavallon reserved a handful of his imprints for his forearms and willed them to take on the same tacky quality to help keep himself in place. He nodded at Rake. She silently counted, and on three, they drove their heels hard into the grate. Rake slid away before Cavallon even realized they'd succeeded. She disappeared off the edge into a storm of white dust. A clang of metal rang out as the grate hit the ground, accompanied by a chorus of shocked drudger yelps. Cavallon coughed as he scrambled forward to make sure she'd landed okay, but the thick coating of dust sent him gliding over the slick metal just a little too far, right off the edge after her. His imprints cushioned the fall, but a shock of pain still coursed through his right side as he hit the ground hard. Rake had already gotten to her feet, or maybe she'd landed that way, dust raining down on her as she sliced the throat of the napping drudger. The stunned drudgers at the table were still clamoring to their feet as she rushed toward them. She simultaneously stabbed one and shot the other. Two more drudgers appeared in an open doorway at the back of the room, and she moved to intercept. As Cavallon picked himself up, another drudger came from an alcove to his right, behind Rake's field of view. His heart slammed against his chest as it stared across the room, distracted by Rake executing all its friends and seemingly unaware of the idiot lingering helplessly just two meters away. Now, Cavallon supposed, would be exactly the time to prove he wasn't dead weight. He fumbled his pistol from its holster, aimed it straight at the drudger's wrinkly forehead and pulled the trigger. And literally nothing happened. Shit, he hissed but he had no time to troubleshoot as the drudger started for Rake. Scrappy, she'd said. He might as well own it. So he chucked the gun as hard as he could at the drudger's head. It had the decency of looking briefly stunned, though more likely by the inanity of the action than anything, stopping in its tracks as the gun bounced pointlessly off its forehead. With as much imprint-infused, epithesium-fueled rage as he could muster, Cavallon charged the dredger and slammed it into the wall. Stay within their guard, Rake had said. Check. He grappled with the disgusting thing, pinning its neck to the wall with his forearm. He coughed and tried not to choke on a lungful of putrid dredger stench. Summoning his imprints, he pressed harder to keep the drudger against the wall with one hand as he fumbled his knife out of its sheath with the other. Clamping a sweaty hand around the hilt, he recalled Mace's advice. Sixth and seventh rib, apply a great deal of thrust. He took aim, his mouth burning with the taste of copper, and stabbed it into the drudger's side, praying he didn't miss. But he missed, he definitely missed. Pain shot up his arm as the blade hit directly into one of the hard, glinting, metallic exoskeletal plates. The knife twisted, skimming a layer of thick, gray skin off the plating, before wrenching from his grip and clattering to the ground. Bloody void, Cavallon hissed. The drudger took advantage of the distraction and threw Cavallon to the floor, then leapt after him. 
His imprints flew into his torso and he barely rolled away in time as the creature pounded its fists into the ground where he'd just been. He scrambled to his knees and grabbed the legs of a nearby chair and swung. The light metal crumpled against the drudger's chest and it collapsed into the wall. Cavalon crawled forward and straddled it before it could regain its senses. His imprints rushed to his thighs and a few sped to his arm as he pinned the drudger's wrists with one hand. He grabbed the knife, pointy end to the face. However, even as the gross creature snarled and snapped at him, its large blue eyes full of hate and willing to kill him the second it got the chance, Cavalon knew he couldn't do it. Those were savant eyes, human eyes. Killing it was one thing. Stabbing it brutally in the face beforehand, that was something else. So he mustered himself and took aim at the chest again. He hoped better aim, then stabbed with all his strength. This time, the blade found purchase, slicing between the carapace plates, sliding between the ribs, and lodging deep into the dredger's chest. It let out a guttural groan, and its body shuddered, hacking up a splutter of crimson blood that sprayed across Cavallon's chest. Moments later, its eyes rolled back into its head, and its muscles slackened as the life left it completely. Unmoving, Cavallon stared at the corpse under him. His sweat-slicked fingers shook as he released his grip from the hilt of the knife. He thought about removing it. He might need it again. But he couldn't right at the moment, so he left it buried in the dead drudger's chest. He only then realized the fight might not be over. He turned quickly to look for more adversaries, but the room had gone still and silent. Rake watched him steadily, standing among her pile of bodies, seven at least. Even she looked a little spent, a few wisps of hair stuck to the sweat beating on her forehead, olive-skinned cheeks flushed with exertion. You okay? she asked. Cavallon stood, knees wobbling beneath him. He wanted to spit out the overwhelming metallic taste, but his lips and mouth had gone dry. He ran his hands over his chest and willed his senses to function again, to tell him if he'd sustained any injuries. Other than exhaustion and his frantic, rapid breaths, he seemed to be functioning normally. Fine, he managed. Yes, fine. She looked down at the body at his feet, then back up at him. You sure? His gaze floated to the ground and he clenched his jaw. She didn't mean physically okay. He stared at the spattering of crimson staining the backs of his hands. He never saw himself as a particularly sheltered person, but there was something uniquely disturbing about watching the life dissolve out of something while its hot blood spilled onto you until it became silent and unmoving and gone forever, even if it was only a drudger. The boy wasn't supposed to be a killer. He had to ask himself, why were they doing this again? In anticipation that the dredgers would have done the same to them in a heartbeat, and they would have. Under no provocation, they'd have killed the sentinels, simply to take whatever meager supplies they had, or so they could declare themselves the victors, or whatever. But the dredgers would have lost. If the sentinel's single most useful fighter and single most useless fighter could take so many of them out, then the entirety of the group would have been just fine. So he told himself they'd have died either way, because they would have. It's only a drudger, he said, 
trying to sound like he believed himself, but his voice came out weak. It doesn't matter. Taking a life is never easy. She gripped his shoulder, face creasing into a concerned grimace. I shouldn't have let you come. I'm fine, he said, surprised by the hardness in his tone. Really? Let's keep going. She assessed him cautiously, then nodded. Let's find out where the rest are. She crossed to the bank of terminals against the opposite wall. Cavallon followed and stood over her shoulder as she brought up the scanners. Three blips showed on the holographic overhead of the ship, all located in what appeared to be the cockpit. Only three? He asked. She shook her head. There should be 15 or 20 more at least. Maybe Jackin's scan was off? By almost half? They were gone for a few hours. Maybe they dropped a few off somewhere else, he suggested. Dropped them off where, she asked. But it was rhetorical. Obviously, Cavallon had no idea, and she didn't either. Rake dismissed the menu, then stepped over to the drudger Cavallon had killed. His stomach fluttered as she yanked his knife from its chest. She swept the flat of the blade across her pant leg, wiping the blood clean, then handed it back to him, hilt first. Ready? He hesitated, then sucked in a breath. He took the knife and resheathed it. Yes, sir. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you. Thank you.